following sermon was recorded live at Foundation Church of Fredericksburg in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia. Good morning, everyone. Um, <laughs> it's nice to be here this morning with you guys uh, sharing God's word. Um, I want to start first uh, with a prayer for those who aren't here and uh, that God will help us as we um, read his word. Let's pray. Father God, um, I pray for those who are here are not, are here, and I thank you that they uh, you've brought them here, drawn your people in so that they can hear your, your word. Um, I pray, God, that you would open our eyes so that we can see marvelous and beautiful things coming out of your, of, out of your word. Father, um, in our own strength, in our own ability, Lord, we're blinded by sin. Um, sin hinders us from seeing the truth. So we pray that by your spirit, you would open our eyes to see. Father God, I pray for those who aren't here. I pray for those who aren't here because of sickness and illness. I pray, God, that you would be healing them um, where they're at and that they would um, be comforted by your love and your truth, um, even though they're not here with us, um, that they may be edified from your word at home. Lord, I pray for those who are not here, God, um, out of uh, sin or just uh, un, uh, unrepentant sin, and I pray, God, that you would um, soften their heart and draw them in. Uh, Lord, I pray, Father, that you help me, God, speak your truth um, and that your people would be edified. Uh, may the meditations of my heart and my mind be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Um, so, as you all know, um, I'm a father of five, and I have one on the way, so that would be a total of six children. And as a parent, I get the privilege of uh, sometimes uh, playing court. And what I mean by that is uh, sometimes my children will bring uh, a situation to me, uh, either Theo or Joe, and they'll say something like, he took my toy or whatever. And sometimes it's easy to figure out what's going on. Either I'll tell them to give the toy back or whatever. But um, sometimes it's a little harder and the accusation is a little um, stronger. So it can be something like, um, he hit me or he pushed me down the steps. And that obviously has greater consequence and it's sort of easy to discipline a child when you know what happened, right? You can roll back the tape and say, okay, I saw him do X, Y, and Z. Um, it's not easy when you don't really know what happened. When the child is saying, I didn't do that, and you, didn't, and you weren't there, and you didn't see exactly what went on. So then you have to start asking questions. Who saw this? Mia, did you see it? She, as the older one, is sometimes the one that speaks and clears up for me what actually went down, but sometimes she's there, she wasn't there, and she'll be like, I wasn't there, so I don't know what happened. And then, so I, in those moments, even though I'm trying to figure out who did what and carry out the consequence uh, that needs to happen, um, even though the child may be on trial here and the brothers and siblings bring in the accusation, oftentimes I feel like I'm the one on trial in those situations. Because here's the thing, I can 
discipline someone that was completely innocent. Their siblings may be lying on their brother just to get him in trouble. Um, don't ask me why. Paul calls that the mystery of lawlessness. So that's what I call it. Um, and so it's hard to figure out. Um, I don't want to sentence an innocent person to punishment. Um, at the same time, I don't want to let a guilty person free, right? He probably did do it, and he's lying, and now I just let him get away with it. Um, so those, those situations are a little bit harder for me as a parent, and so even though I'm the one presiding and, and, and trying to figure out who did what, and Theo or whoever may be on trial, I feel like I'm on trial. My parenting's on trial. Um, am I being a faithful steward of the children God has given to me in that moment? Am I um, really seeking truth? Or am I just overwhelmed with all the yelling and I just want them to go away? And so, um, something similar is taking place in our passage this morning. In our passage this morning, there are three main characters, the Jews, Pilate, and Jesus. Although the Jews and Pilate are putting Jesus on trial in order to put him to death, we will see who truly is on trial in our passage. For the Jews to celebrate Passover with undefiled hands, they will hand over Jesus to Pilate to do their dirty work for them. The hypocrisy of the Jews will be on full display. However, Pilate will not make it easy for them. He will investigate the situation and find Jesus was innocent. Although Pilate finds Jesus innocent, he will still sentence him to death because, after all, Pilate is a very practical man. Truth can be bent and distorted for his own gain. And when he sees that the truth is not beneficial, he will reject the truth, Jesus is king, to his face. Although they think they have no power to sentence um, Although they think they have the power to sentence Jesus guilty, Jesus will be in full control of the situation. This situation will only show that they are the ones actually on trial, and with every action and word, they reveal their own guilt. In this passage, the Apostle John does not only narrate to us the account of Jesus' trial and his crucifixion, he shows us how the whole world rejected Jesus. And if we look a little closer, we will see our own court trial and the sins of these men. We will see our own sin and failure to recognize and accept Jesus' kingship over our own lives. In our sermon this morning, we will go through each main character and see what God is trying to tell us through each person. First, we will begin with the Jews, then Pilate, and finally, we will see the salvation we receive in Jesus. Let's read our passage this morning. Our passage this morning is found in John chapter 18, verse 28 to 1916. Let's read God's word. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. 
This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that I may know that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he had made himself the Son of God. Well, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about to be the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is God's word. This morning, like I said, I want to begin with the Jews, then we'll touch on Pilate, and then we'll see the, the salvation that Jesus brings us. Uh, I'll start with the Jews. We begin our passage in chapter 18, verse 28. In 28, it says, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They did not themselves enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat Passover. 
What is the Passover? Uh, the Passover was a religious feast celebrating the awesome power of God displayed in the liberation of his people from slavery when they were in Egypt. He did this by bringing down many plagues to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. The final plague he would have sent them was the angel of death to smite all the firstborn in the land. God told Moses to tell the people to bring a spotless lamb and kill it. He told him to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And when the angel came and saw the blood on the doorpost, the angel would pass over and not smite the firstborn of that household. The Jews would not be permitted to celebrate Passover, at least for some portion of the feast, if they became defiled. And that time, when someone became defiled, they had to go through what was called a purification ceremony or ritual. And some rituals could take days to complete. This would bring too much attention to themselves. After all, they are the chief priests and the teachers of the people. They needed to lead the festival. If they did not participate in the festival, right, that would bring many questions. When the Jews hand Pilate, hand uh, Jesus over to Pilate, Jesus will ask them, I'm sorry, Pilate will ask them what their charge is against Jesus. And the Jews don't really specify the charge here. The Jews are very ambiguous with their response. Uh, they, they respond back to Pilate in a very ambiguous manner. And Pilate sees that, and he says, well, if you're not going to help out, he responds back to them. He says, um, then judge them yourselves. And um, they respond back to Pilate. It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. They were right. So, to some degree, because the Romans took the Jews' ability to perform capital punishment. When the Romans came in and invaded Jerusalem, they weren't allowed to uh, do any sort of capital punishment. They had to hand that over to Rome. So, they were right to some degree. But, you see, I don't fully believe them because this hasn't stopped them before from killing someone. And it doesn't stop them afterwards, as we'll see with Stephen they stone Stephen to death. They don't take Stephen to the Romans. So, And many of the disciples had to face similar trials against the Sanhedrin, and they beat them, they killed them, and we know Paul himself was a persecutor of the church without the Romans' permission. So, after all, you know, we see that uh, this shows that this was a, a moral hypocrisy, um, trying to act like they were good citizens in order to uh, get permission from the Romans. They were set on putting Jesus to death. They had no intention on seeking out justice. Their reply was just to appear to be good upright citizens and hide their true desires, which was to murder Jesus. As a matter of fact, we see their bloodthirst intensify. Pilate will make many attempts to have Jesus set free, and each time their desire to see Jesus dead will increase. This proves what Jesus would say with them in John 8 as he goes, he has a conversation with them about who uh, he is and, and they're angry at him. And, and Jesus says to them, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Their hearts were filled with murder and their desire was to put Christ to death. Then we see their vassal hypocrisy um 
this will culminate into their, their vassal hypocrisy. And what is a vassal or vassal, whatever? A vassal is someone who is subject to someone superior to them, something like a king. This scene starts spiraling out of control when uh, they start committing something shy of blasphemy. In chapter 19, verse 14 and 15, it says, Now it was the day of the preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? Notice their response. We have no king but Caesar. This was a horrible way to respond as a Jew. You see, the Jews believed that God was their king and that God will send his messianic king to rule over them forever. This was not only the first, this is not the first time that they reject God as their king. As you remember in our sermon series through the Old Testament, we went through uh, the book of 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel, the Jews reject God as their king as well. The Israelites rejected God um, as their king. In 1 Samuel 8, they choose to say, we don't want God as our king. We want a king like all the other nations. And Samuel's kind of bummed out about this. But God responds to Samuel. He says, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being their king. The Israelites have now chosen their king. They chose Caesar over Jesus, the true king sent by God. This choice brings an indictment over them. In the Gospel of Matthew, they respond back to Pilate with, May his blood be upon us and our children. How did the Jews get here? You see, this is something they would have never said in the synagogue. But in the moment, they were so filled with hatred and murder in their hearts that their mouths began to reveal what was really in their hearts. How did they get here? The Jews had the word of God. They had the law. They possessed the truth. They are God's covenant people, and yet they rejected the Son of God. Those who claim to already know the truth will reject the truth of Jesus' kingship and hand him over to Pilate so that he is crucified on a cross. This serves us as a warning in many ways. Here are four warnings that we can get from uh, what the Jews are doing here. Number one, guard your heart from legalism. Rule-keeping and being good was the foundation of their relationship with God. This should not be true of us. Our relationship with God is not grounded on our ability to obey him. It is not grounded on what kind of music we do or don't listen to. It is not based on our performance. We should seek to live a life that is obedient to God, not as a way to get a right standing before him, but out of a heart that is grateful for everything that he's done for us in Christ Jesus. Number two, guard your life from religious hypocrisy. In our effort to live a life in obedience to God out of gratitude, we should guard ourselves from religious hypocrisy. Religious hypocrisy can manifest itself in many different ways. Religious hypocrisy can have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. In other words, we look like we walk the walk only because we talk the talk. It is a way to make ourselves seem good on the outside when in reality we are not. Jesus calls the religious leaders out for this on multiple occasions. Here in Matthew 23, 27 uh, to 28, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, 
But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Brothers and sisters, you cannot hide forever. If people don't see you, God sees you. He sees your heart and your true motivations. And eventually, you will not be able to hide what is truly in your heart. Your hypocrisy will be revealed sooner or later, either on earth or on the day of judgment. Number three, guard yourself from pride. Christians, we must guard ourselves from pride. It is easy to look at the moral degradation of our culture and stick our noses up at them. But we must remember that if we are here this morning, it is not because we were good or did anything deserving, but God had his mercy on us. This truth should guard us from pride when we recognize that we are not Christians because of we made the right choice, but because God had grace on us and mercy. Number four, guard yourself from self-deception. Finally, brothers and sisters, guard yourselves from self-deception. There is a unique blessing that comes with the privilege of being able to meet every Lord's Day. There is a great blessing in having our children grow up in Christian homes. There is a great blessing in being a part of God's visible covenant people. But if we are not careful, we can miss it. We may come to believe that all it means to be a Christian is to come here on Sunday, sing some hymns, do family devotionals. All these things are important, but they are not the main thing. And if we're not careful, we may trade the means for the end. The point of all of those things are to point us to the person of Jesus Christ. They are to point us to Jesus, to his life, to his sacrifice, his kingship. Failure to understand that can lead us into being self-deceived. This is how some people end up walking away from the faith. They thought their Christianity, they reduced their Christianity in the Christian things they did and did not receive Jesus and faith. Now we move over to Pilate. Pontius Pilate has now taken Jesus inside to question him about the charges. The Jews were not straightforward about the charges that they brought to Jesus, so now Pilate has to investigate. Pilate starts out with a very straightforward question. Pilate will ask him, are you the king of the Jews? But Jesus asks him a question before he even answers. He asks him, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Instead of Pilate interrogating Jesus, Jesus will begin to interrogate the heart of Pilate. The question Jesus is asking him is, are you asking this because you are truly interested in knowing me for yourself? Pilate scoffs at the idea that he would even care. Pilate did not want to know for himself. He wanted to know what was going on so he can do his job and go on with his day. But Jesus will press on to communicate to him what kind of king Jesus was. In this conversation with Pilate, he communicates clearly that his kingdom is not from this world and that he had no interest in it in being a physical threat to Rome. Pilate begins to understand in verse 37, and he says, So you are a king. And Jesus answered him, You say that I am a king. You're right, Pilate. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? 
Jesus, again, welcomes Pilate into knowing who Jesus is and to receive his kingship. And again, Pilate will reject the truth. After all, Pilate was a politician and he did not get to where he was at by caring about the truth. To him, truth was whatever he needed it to be for the given situation. Sounds familiar with our politicians. However, despite the fact, Pilate will not find Jesus guilty. This meant that he did not find Jesus guilty of doing anything evil, and so he seeks to release him. Pilate knew that the Jews decided to have Jesus killed, so he proposed a way in which he could let him go. He wanted to release the release of Jesus to be their choice, right? It's their idea. So he gave them the option of releasing Jesus or Barabbas. Everyone knew that Barabbas was a guilty man, right? Even John says it. He was a robber and other passages of scripture we say he's an insurrectionist he was a bad man everyone knew so they knew he was an evil man so Pilate knew that they would choose Barabbas but to Pilate's surprise they did not so Pilate will try to have him release a different way he will scourge Jesus um, and an effort to gain sympathy and quench their bloodthirst and to his surprise again they want Jesus dead even more they began to cry out that they want Jesus crucified. Instead of Pilate holding his grounds, he keeps getting pressured to kill Jesus. Finally, the Jews are more straightforward, and they tell Pilate, we'll, we'll tell you the real reason we want to kill him. The real reason we want to kill him is the, in verse 7 and 8, it says, the Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Pilate's superstition is now triggered, and he goes back inside to ask more questions. But since Jesus knows that his questioning does not come from a desire to actually want to know the truth of who Jesus is, he remains silent. And this angers Pilate. He starts power tripping, and he starts saying uh, in verse 10, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus reminds Pilate that his authority has the same source as the truth, from God himself. I think it's worth noting that Jesus was in full control of this trial. In the face of all their judgments and action, it is really their actions on trial here. Pilate, at this point, does not know what to do. He thinks Jesus is innocent, and now he thinks the... Jesus is probably divine, and he is now worried. He just scourged potentially the, uh, 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 somebody of deity that is potentially deity. But at the same time, the Jews want him dead, and it can get messy out there. He will seek to free him even more, but the Jews finally force his hand. When the Jews see Pilate still trying to release Jesus, they tell him, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. And everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. At this point, he had a decision to make. Will he crucify a man who is innocent and is of divine origin? Or will he stand on his beliefs with courage and let Jesus go and risk being perceived as an enemy of Caesar? Let me remind you folks that this is the Caesar. He was known for being paranoid and killing people who he believed were not loyal to him. So to Pilate, the question is asked again, what is truth? 
in that moment, the truth is not that Jesus was not a physical threat to Rome. The truth was not that Jesus is the promised king. The truth in that moment for Pilate was Jesus is very inconvenient right now, and I must get rid of him. And so he sentences Jesus to death. Here are a couple things that we can learn from Pilate. Number one, the truth of Jesus' kingship is not subjective. We live in a world that constantly communicates to us that truth is relative, that truth is whatever makes us most happy. In our culture, the truth is left to the individual to formulate, and it is usually whatever is most beneficial or convenient. Even as Christians, we can fall into this, these snares sometimes when we come to different moral crossroads in our lives and submission to Jesus' kingship becomes difficult. The truth can become what we need it to be in order to secure our own comfort and happiness. But the kingship of Jesus is not one of those things. You must do something with it. The truth of the kingship of Jesus will not allow us to be neutral or to bend the truth a little here or a little there. Here is Pilate and the Jews. The Jews being God's people and Pilate being the Roman government who ruled the whole world. This was Jesus really against the whole world. And they all had to decide. You either look at Jesus and say, he is my king, or you look at him and say, he is not. Secondly, the truth of Jesus' kingship is not convenient. Following Jesus is not easy. Many times you will be faced with the choice of submitting to Jesus' kingship and the rejection of a friend, the loss of a job. Claiming the name of Christ in our modern times is setting yourself up to be potentially slandered or ostracized. How many times have we failed to stand on our own Christian convictions and submission to the kingship of Jesus out of fear of what people might think or fear of losing something valuable to us? Although we live in a Christian nation and are blessed with many privileges our brothers and sisters do not have in other parts of the world, obedience to Jesus can still cost us a lot. And finally, the truth of Jesus' kingship carries moral responsibility. Accepting and rejecting Jesus' kingship comes with moral responsibility. Pilate will wash his hands in an attempt to absolve himself from sentencing Jesus to death. But brothers and sisters, you cannot absolve yourself from this. As we seek to faithfully preach the gospel to our neighbors, we must make sure that we highlight that rejection of Christ comes with moral implications. Jesus is not an option that you can reject without moral consequences. In other words, it is immoral to reject Christ. There will be another trial on the judgment throne of God, and every person who heard the gospel of Jesus Christ will be responsible for what they heard. They are either complicit in the world's rejection of Jesus, or they will receive Christ and stand innocent before God. We must preach the gospel clearly and with all its implications. Finally, brothers and sisters, we see the salvation that Jesus offers us. In our story, we have two people, the Jews and Pilate. Both are sinning against Jesus in many ways. The Jews' religious hypocrisy and legalism kept them from recognizing Jesus to be their true king. And Pilate's subjectivism led him to bend the truth in order to keep his comforts and security. Brothers and sisters, we have all done this to one degree or another. Martin Luther said that human nature is like a drunkard trying to ride a horse. He gets on and falls on the left side. 
He resolves not to make that mistake again, so he remounts, careful to avoid falling off on the left, and promptly falls on the right. We can sin against God and being legalistic, or we can sin against God by being morally relative, living our Christian life, doing whatever feels good instead of recognizing Jesus' kingship in our lives and submitting to it. Countless times we have negated the truth of Jesus' kingship in our lives because of the same two reasons. In this trial of Jesus, we not only see the sins of Pilate and the Jews, but we also see our own sin. I mentioned earlier that there were three main characters in our passage this morning, but we also see in passing another person, Barabbas. We have something in common with Barabbas. You see, Barabbas was guilty of his crimes, and everyone knew it, just like you and me. We are guilty before God for our times. We have rejected Christ as our king. In this passage, we see Jesus taking Barabbas' place. This was a criminal who was facing death, and there was a Roman cross waiting for him. But Jesus takes his place. Do you see what the Apostle John is trying to tell us? In the same way Jesus is saving Barabbas' life by taking his place so that he could have life despite him being guilty, Jesus is taking our place on that cross so that we could have life. Jesus took our cross so that we could have life despite, we were, despite the fact that we were guilty and rejected him. And Jesus laying his life down, he is crowned king over the whole world. How do you receive this king? By receiving him as the one who took your place. It is when we receive Jesus as king that we are bold to stand for him in truth. Look at the disciples after the resurrection. They had trials. They had to stand before people and give an account for the hope that is in them. They faced similar court cases like Jesus did. But it is when, we under, when they understood Jesus' kingship and the means he went through to become king, that is when they were empowered to live bold lives for him. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for the sacrifice that you've made. Lord, you did not come to save the righteous. You came to save sinners. You took our place when we deserved death. Lord, help us to live lives that demonstrate the gratitude for what you have done. Help us, God, to um, be cautious of legalism and be cautious of being relative in the way we live our lives. Help us, God, to live a life in submission to your kingship, Jesus. Help us, God, to see the love that you have for us Help us, God, to follow you in the face of a culture that hates you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Recent sermons are released under a Creative Commons non-commercial, no-derivative 3.0 license. If you'd like to learn more or listen to past sermons, please visit us at foundationfxbg.com.